the picture, the the famous, the infamous picture uh, that we turned into a into a magnet, uh, an advertising magnet that we would put on vehicles at Reach the Beach. <laughs> that picture was from the 2010 uh, Seven Sisters Trail Race. Yeah. Um, and I, Rich, was that was that the first year that you and I did it, or was that the second year that you and I had? Uh, did it, it that was that was our first year uh that we had done it um i remember we went down there with a good group we had a gorgeous day weather was great um and you were the reason that i ended up um should have gotten stitches never did um but uh, going out seven sisters you know tons of climbing right not you know right out of the bat you're you're going up a steep long climb you get all so much more of that throughout the day and then you got to come back so we got it out and back i get out there and i'd lost track of you uh you were you're ahead of me um and i'm coming back i'm probably a quarter of a mile from the turnaround coming back and i'm hunting for you uh, i'm trying to figure out where you are and a buddy of mine richie miller um who was just kind of making his way out he's like oh you're close to done you only got probably like 20 seconds and you'll catch him so i tried to shift into another gear as i do that i catch a toe on a rock do a nice superman i'm in the air long enough because i was going downhill i'm in the air long enough to know i was in the air and i was horizontal um you know land in just an awful probably awful looking awful sounding pile um blood gushing out of this this new opening i have on my like on my uh on my wrist take my headband turn it make it into a tourniquet um and then finish the race and then you get a great picture out of it to uh to put on a magnet Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half, Walk Double podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in rainy Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports. As an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete, told to the stories of the important influential and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, teammates, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Rich Labors joins the show. As teammates, co-race directors, and friends, we share some pretty great memories. Even when, at times, things didn't quite go our way. You know, that's the funny thing about sharing epic experiences with friends. Regardless of the outcome, the stories bond us together. Although Rich has purposefully pivoted away from trail and mountain running, that's a great story too, we get together at least once a year to host the Ralph Waldo Emerson Trail Race in Concord, New Hampshire. Rich talks about the history of the event, including why he's still involved, as well as an important update on new course changes. Well, here he is, Rich Labors. 
Rich, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thank you for having me. This is uh, It's great to see you. Uh, it's been too long since we've connected and uh, looking forward to having a chance to talk. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Think Things are busy, but busy, busy is good, right? Busy, busy is good for sure. Um, we'll, 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 we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what keeps you so busy nowadays, but let, let, let me open with this. Um, you know, as I was thinking about uh, our conversation, um, you know, and I was thinking, you know, how do I, how do I open this show? Um, what, what came to me is really sort of the, the, the most logical uh, thing really, as I think about, as I think about rich labors, I, the, the expression that comes to mind is that, you know, some people seek fame, but for others, it's thrust upon them. In 2020, maybe 2021, it was probably 2020, right? Just at the, just at the start of the pandemic, um, you had your proverbial 15 minutes of fame. I'll never forget too. Karen and I were, um, we we must have had the TV on. We we usually turn the sound off when we're eating dinner, but we had we had Channel Nine on the 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 New Hampshire TV station, and um, uh, I can't see the television from 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 where I am in the in the in the where where we sit and eat dinner, but Karen can see the TV. But again, the sound was off, and we were eating dinner. Channel Nine was on. And as we were eating dinner, Karen interrupted the meal and said, hey, that's rich on TV. <laughs> so, I think my wife had the same same reaction that that day. OK, so please to explain for the listener uh, your your 15 minutes of fame. How did that how did that all come about? First of all, what what are we what am I talking about? And then how did that all come about? Yeah, so it's. Um... There's some great stories within the story, right? So my day job is part of the State Department that handles the unemployment program for people in New Hampshire that lose their job through no fault of their own. So that is, you know, that the usual day-to-day activities are, are, are fun. I find a lot of enjoyment in that. But then when the pandemic was just getting started, um, we had no idea what we were getting in for. And uh, New Hampshire went from having a relatively low unemployment rate, a few thousand people out of the whole state utilizing the program to what seemed like overnight, 120,000 people using the program each week. And what that meant was a lot of questions, right? A lot of information that needed to be shared to not only help people make good decisions and and decisions that they could make sure um, that they were going to be able to support themselves, support their families, and how the unemployment program could help with that during those beginning days of COVID. Um, But it, it was really trying to keep people at ease, that there were people that cared about uh, government programs, um, that knew what they were talking about, and that they weren't going anywhere. They were going to stick around. They were going to help people navigate what was a very difficult uh, few uh, first few months, particularly in that you know the teeth of the pandemic. There, um, and that's kind of what I gravitated towards. Was um, I had a lot of conversations with people, and I felt like 
you know, this is what you're supposed to do. This is kind of why you landed in this spot. And now uh, you have an opportunity. Uh, you have an opportunity to, to really um, take on the role the way you would want someone to do it if you were in that position of, you know, losing your job, not sure when your, when your sector was going to bounce back. What on earth do I do now? Um, I would want someone there answering questions, being visible, being accessible, um, and, and that's and that's what I did. And um, it really felt it really felt like it was I was in the right place. It was where I was supposed to be, and I embraced it. It was a it was a great experience. I don't want to do it again, um, but it was a it was a wonderful wonderful experience. I met a lot of great people, and my my role has really. Um, changed since then a lot you know I'm, I'm i'm brought into a lot of different circles now in terms of um uh, relationships that i have with with people on the on the professional side and then also on the personal side you know just like i remember last summer my family and i were walking up to the gate at um echo lake state park up in franconia notch and you know great beautiful section of new hampshire um, part of our vacation and um, we go up and we check in you had to have a day pass and I give them my name and she's like oh I saw you on the list I was so hoping you were going to show up you famous TV personality you and I'm like okay I guess I'm never getting away from this um, <laughs> so um, you know it, it's interesting because I mean there was there was uh, Governor Chris Sununu of course <clears throat> was 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 very was very face forward uh, during this, and I'm, I apologize, I'm forgetting his name, but there was a the doctor, the public health uh, official. Yeah. Um, yep. He he was he was all, also very face forward. Uh, and then there was then there was Richard Lavers. Um, like, <laughs> clearly there you know there there are more than just those government agencies, and yet uh, you were one of those people that was very face forward here in New Hampshire. Uh, speaking to, uh, to 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 the to the citizens and residents of of New Hampshire to to ease their uh, their concerns, um, whose idea was it uh, uh, for you for you to be face forward like that and 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 get out uh, you know to get into the media get out in front of people and uh, and, and and help alleviate their concerns? Who was it? You that approached uh, the administration or 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 vice versa? So it was, um, you know, we went back a little ways when when rumblings of the pandemic were first starting and people were starting to try to really have a, a thoughtful um, exercise in trying to, you know, determine what the impact was going to be on unemployment in New Hampshire and how the, the unemployment program could play a role. And so we just started developing policy, working closely with the governor's office um, and then having been involved in all of the different facets of the state agency that I work for, I had good hands-on familiarity with all of the programs. And when you have, uh, when you develop that kind of familiarity um, with the, those programs, rather than just, you know, coming in at the top and not really understanding what makes up the numbers, um, you're able to have a different conversation. Um, with folks, and so developed a pretty close role with the governor's office through through all of that work, and then 
And then when things really started to unravel, um, I don't think anyone realized how much of a role that the the unemployment program was going to play. Um, and so it was just, you know, from that first uh, news conference and, and having, uh, you know, having the, the luxury of having pre prepared remarks, right, and being able to stick to the script, to then going and uh, being on MUR, I think it was, my wife and I counted it, 27 straight weeks of, you know, being in studio and then being on Zoom. Um, and real quick, we had, uh, they had me on, on live on, on MUR, you know, News 9, New Hampshire's only statewide news station. They would have me on live and they'd be advertising it throughout the day. You know, Rich Lavers, Deputy Commissioner of New Hampshire Employment Security, is going to be here to answer your questions at 5.30. And one of those times, I'm coming down from Concord to go to Manchester, which should be, you know, probably a good 25 minutes. Give yourself a half an hour just to be safe. Um, I got locked into some other type of project, was running tight, and it was a live broadcast, right? So I'm going down Interstate 93 way too fast, and I've got my phone buzzing with the governor's um, media uh, head of, uh, of media relations just calling me constantly wondering where the hell I was because MUR is calling him. And so I pull into the parking lot in Manchester, New Hampshire on two wheels. I knew the studio well enough. I knew where to go. So I walk right in. I navigate through the kind of the uh, the maze of office space that they have. I go right into the live studio. Um Fortunately, they had broken away for five minutes for then President Trump to do some sort of address. I walk into the studio. I grab the microphone, put it right where it's supposed to be. I walk to my spot in the like right next to the, 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 the co-anchor. And immediately I've got questions being fired at me uh, from people all over the state of New Hampshire. I had not seen any of the questions. I had no idea what was coming around. And then they had me for, you know, an hour just answering <laughs> question after question after question. It was just, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's always interesting what some people consider fun. Right. But it was it was it was enjoyable. It was a highly stressful situation. But it's yeah, it's like it's like the ultimate oral final exam. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you better know your stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's people's people's lives and live livelihoods are on the line. Um, last thing uh, on, on this topic and then and then we'll, we'll move along to other things. But um, from from your perspective, um, uh, help us to understand how did the state of New Hampshire do, do you think, with, with regard to, uh, to, 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 to the unemployment uh, program relative to, say, you know, the other states uh, here in New England? Um, you know, I'm, I'm biased in that regard, but I think we did really well. To put it into perspective, within that, that two-year period of 2020 and 2021, New Hampshire paid out more money in unemployment to more people than they had in the prior decade combined. So about 25% of the entire labor force in the state was collecting unemployment benefits um, to the tune of about $2 billion, which all had to get funneled through uh, the state agency that I work for. So 
the amount of work that people were doing behind the scenes um, and going to the office every day, we had closed offices, we had closed them to the public so we could be have a, a safe, um, secure location as possible. But my, I had about you know 200 or so staff people in the agency. And in that first few months, they had worked the equivalent of another 90 individuals in just overtime hours. So they were literally, you know, anything other than, you know, sleeping and a shower was all you were doing to leave the building and then coming back. And so they did a remarkable job and there were bumps along the way, certainly. Um, you know, a lot of the programs, their the eligibility kept on evolving and um, that was confusing for people. Um, and it was, it was confusing for people that were trying to administer the programs too. Um, but we just kept on staying out front and center, being transparent, giving good information, giving bad information, but always being able to explain why. And hopefully, um, you know, people appreciated it. And uh, hopefully people, um, you know, people that were supposed to be using the program uh, were able to do it. And those that um, thought they might be eligible were able to figure out, nope, this wasn't something for them, but maybe there's a gov another government program that they could fit into. So it, we had our, our, our bumps along the way for sure. But I think New Hampshire did, I think people of New Hampshire should be really proud of, of the men and women that they had working at um, the state agency that I'm so lucky to be a part of because those people just worked uh, incredibly hard, very devoted, very mission oriented, and people that uh, really relish in the, in the role of, of having a job where they can be impactful in, in such a, an important way. Well, I think um, your your agency, um, at least in my observation, uh, in, indicative of the um, of the sort of the the government here in New Hampshire, we, we tend to be we tend to run things really well, uh, and I, I feel like um, uh, I feel like you, you know um, compared to our neighbors. Um, the, the neighboring states here uh, in New England, I, I feel like the the state of New Hampshire did a pretty good job uh, in all in, in all aspects of dealing with the with the pandemic, um, and the transparency was absolutely appreciated for sure. Again, to your point, whether you had whether you had good news to share or not so good news to share, either way, uh, you, you shared that, you shared that news. Um, and, and, and I, I know, I know it was appreciated. Um, for the listener who's not familiar with you, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, so I am, so live, um, just outside of Concord, New Hampshire, the state's capital. Um, I was, uh, described what, too many years ago now, um, now I, I consider myself fully a middle-aged man in my late 40s. Um, but several years ago, during one of my um, many um, uh, what weren't freak um, accidents resulting from a, a race in which I would uh, participate in on behalf of acidotic and wind up in a hospital setting, one of those times, and I was, I think in my early 40s for this one, I got described as a pleasant looking middle-aged man by the nurse. So um, that's what I am. I'm a pleasant looking middle-aged man. Um, very fortunate to have a, a wonderful wife 
uh, two kids that are getting older uh, way too quickly, um, getting into, you know, one of them in early teenage years who is absolutely crushing his spring track season so far um, and so proud to see how well he is doing um, with little to no effort, which is not how his old man approaches running. Um, <laughs> Um, but uh, grew grew up in uh, central part of Massachusetts. I was not a runner at all. You know, um, I it was a uh, soccer, basketball, baseball, any sport you could throw at me. That's what I was doing um, up through high school, and um, quickly realized I was not a D one athlete in any one of those sports. Uh, but tried, uh, you know, tried to walk on to the the soccer program at Boston College my freshman year and quickly learned that just being able to outrun um, everyone and and just really defend well, but not have great ball handling skills, probably not gonna get me much further. So that's when I, uh, that's when I, I, I turned to running and uh, it was that uh, freshman year at uh, Boston College, being on the marathon route, um, I was on the Newton campus, so we we're on Heartbreak Hill. Um, just a, you know, a great place to learn and, uh, and appreciate running um, in those early years, seeing the marathon every year. Um, so that's kind of how I, I, I got into running and uh, now just really enjoying um, raising my family, being, uh, you know, on the outskirts of a decent size city by New Hampshire standards. But, you know, where, where I am, I have more cows for neighbors than people. Uh, which, well, I'm a, a, a maple syrup hobbyist, meaning I make my own maple syrup. I uh, do a lot of uh, uh, vegetable gardening. Um, so a lot of my life is going where I always, um, or actually I didn't always know where I wanted it to go, but I know now this is what I, where I wanted it to go. And uh, it's, it's a great place to be. You and I had the opportunity uh, to, to to meet each other um, many years ago. Now it's Jesus. It's probably 12, 14 years ago or so. Um, and while I don't specifically remember uh, where it was, oh, I, I remember exactly okay. where we were. I remember what you were wearing. <laughs> I remember what you had done the prior day. I remember. Okay. okay oh, perfect. I remember. This 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 is why I do this show because my my memory of, of these things uh, is not that great not not because these aren't important times in my life just because I just don't seem to remember things very well uh, okay so please <laughs> please to please to tell the story then of uh, of how you and I came to know each other well I had gotten to know you online a little bit because I threw some. Google searching as I was transitioning away from road running and trying to be a more active trail runner, I had stumbled across Acidotic and specifically with the uh, Pemi Traverse, uh, the, uh, the, the two-person single-day Pemi Traverse race that Acidotic had put together in those early days. And um, I saw that and I was like, these guys, I think, are going to be a, a, a tribe that is going to be like-minded. And uh, 
I can get behind. And um, I then saw that Acidotic being involved with uh, the Exeter Trail Race um, with Rye Fanstock and, and Sarah Silverberg with that that great race over in Exeter, New Hampshire. Um, I went to that race. Um, you showed up. Uh, you were one day removed from just having completed uh, the death race in Vermont the day before. So your legs should have been a mess. Um, you should have been an easy kill for me on that 10 mile course. Um, and I ran with you for the first, I don't know, three, four miles. And then you just shifted into another gear, which I had overheard the conversation that you had just finished the death race. And so you shifting into that other gear was just, just a, a killer to me psychologically. Um, I don't remember how far ahead of you, uh, how far ahead of me you finished um, in that introductory uh, race to all things uh, Chris Dunn. Uh, but that was the, that was that first time that we ran together um, and had many memorable races after that. Some, some really good and some. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about some of those, some of those races. Um, well, so that was, most of those races you were able to um, memorialize my experience through some sort of acidotic branded a swag right that got put on magnets that got put on the website but pictures of me in just awful conditions um with blood without blood but laying somewhere um unable to move um but very proud of myself for having for having a, a difficult race in all those cases but well yeah. you 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 always represented acidotic racing very very well um <laughs> and you you were the poster boy <laughs> for 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 many of our our uh our more ingenious advertising ideas um so that that initial introduction uh at the exeter trail race must have been i would 2008 2009 probably something like that because um the <laughs> the the picture, the the famous, the infamous picture uh, that we turned into a into a magnet, uh, an advertising magnet that we would put on vehicles at Reach the Beach. <laughs> that picture was from the 2010 uh, Seven Sisters Trail Race. Yeah. Um, and I, Rich, was that was that the first year that you and I did it, or was that the second year that you and I had uh, did it, it? That was that was our first year uh, that we had done it. Um, I remember we went down there with a good group. We had a gorgeous day. Weather was great. Um, and you were the reason that I ended up, um, should have gotten stitches, never did. Um, but, um, going out seven sisters, you know, tons of climbing, right? Not, you know, right out of the bat, you're, you're going up a steep, long climb. You get all so much more of that throughout the day. And then you got to come back. So we got an out and back. I get out there and I'd lost track of you. Uh, you were, you were ahead of me. Um, and I'm coming back. I'm probably a quarter of a mile from the turnaround coming back and I'm hunting for you. 
uh, I'm trying to figure out where you are. And a buddy of mine, Richie Miller, um, who was just kind of making his way out, he's like, oh, you're close to done. You only got probably like 20 seconds and you'll catch him. So I tried to shift into another gear. As I do that, I catch a toe on a rock, do a nice Superman. I'm in the air long enough because I was going downhill. I'm in the air long enough to know I was in the air and I was horizontal. Um, you know, land in just an awful, probably awful looking, awful sounding pile. Um, blood gushing out of this this new opening I have on my like on my uh, on my wrist. Take my headband, turn it, make it into a tourniquet, um, and then finish the race. And then you get a great picture out of it to uh, to put on a magnet. Uh, I, I'll share the picture um, on uh, <laughs> on my on my Twitter account. Uh, it very well may be the, uh, the 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 cover image for this podcast as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a <laughs> it, we you know as. We're, 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 we're laughing about it now, but I, 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 I do remember in the moment, uh, when you finished, um, and, and it was, I mean, this is early May. Um, but you know, you can catch a day in early May where it's, you know, high sixties, low seventies, and nobody's acclimatized to the heat and seven sisters. I mean, for what is it? A, a 12, 13 mile trail race, something yeah. like that. But, but it can take as much as three and a half hours, sometimes plus. So, so it, it, you're out there a long time and, um, and you, <laughs> you are in this state of repose in which, um, uh, <laughs> you've got, you've got, you've got your left hand on your, uh, on your forehead, uh, your right arm is extended with this, you know, like bloody stump, uh, on the end of your, on the end of your right arm. And, uh, and you, <laughs> you like all the color is out of your face. I mean, we, again, we're laughing about it now, but there was a moment or two there after you finished that we, uh, we really weren't sure if you were going to be okay or not. And we're like, Oh my, we're going to have to call his wife because I, I, think, I don't think he's doing so well. It just, it all turned out. Do you remember on the way back with, uh, I think, I think Steve Wolf had, uh, he was with us. He had ridden down with us or he might've driven. I forget who who was driving. Um, but we went back to Steve's house. His wife was a nurse and we're in his kitchen and his wife is trying to, to care for this gash in my arm and just kind of wondering what on earth, like what are the, what are you foolish men off doing for fun on a Sunday here? This is not healthy. It's um, <laughs> well, I, I like to tell people that, um, that I did, uh, I did seven sisters twice which was one time too many. I should have I should have learned my lesson. But uh, uh, you and I went back. Was it the next year or the year yeah. after? Yeah, yeah it, was year. The, it was the next year. We went back, and um, I, I I never I never seemed to have figured that race out. It always just brutalized me. Um, you know, muscle cramps and dehydration, and just you know, just I mean, it, it's a it's an iconic New England trail race for sure. Um, but it, it was, it was brutal. It was a brutal experience and, yeah, uh, I should have, I should have quit stayed together, uh, stayed together that second time. You had bad moments. I had bad moments. We pulled each other through each of them and finished together and we're in, uh, you know, 
was it was a, it was a better year for me that second year than the first year, uh, for sure. Um, but it was just a some, you know, you joke around about it, but some important lessons about learning um, how to approach a distance race like that, uh, particularly one with that much um, uh, vertical vertical gain and loss, mm. uh, is just you you really got to be smart, and it helps to have a uh, a partner um when when you're doing something like that so you can get a you know because you, you're going to have bad moments um so it's good to have someone else there to to pull you along yeah i mean we i mean we really leaned on each other that that second year right because uh yeah to your point i don't i don't think we ever had low, lows at the same time thankfully <laughs> uh um you know which which allowed the person that was feeling stronger at the moment to really kind of help pull the one the other person that was lagging a little bit um yeah and i i mean i learned a ton about um course specific uh training right so you know you um, the advantages of training on seven sisters like terrain, right? I mean, to, to truly, if, you know, if, if you don't live in the area and have the, and have the luxury of being able to train, uh, on that trail network, then you better work to simulate it as, as closely as possible in your home territory. Really. That's the only way to prepare, uh, for, for a race like seven sisters. Well, seven sisters wasn't the only, um, uh, shared experience that we had, uh, in, in the racing realm. Um, we did, uh, we did reach the beach, you and I, and my wife, Karen did reach the beach for a number of years. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you remember about, about those, those, those years that we did reach the beach? Um, you know, trying to block all of it out. Right. Um, no, the, the reach the beach years were, um, I, I loved, I mean, I, I think I ended up doing reach the beach. I started off with a, uh, um, a team that I just had, a like a friend of a friend type of connection. Um, you and I hadn't really, um, gotten close yet. And I had the first leg, I think that year was out of cannon, out of cannon mountain and, um, running along on, uh, going towards, uh, twin mountain on a slight decline. So just absolutely killing it for pace, right. And feeling really strong, but it's early first leg. You got a lot more of this going on. So you should be careful with what you're doing. But I ended up running alongside Scotty Graham and, uh, uh, he was on the acidotic team that year. Uh, so he and I got chit chatting about acidotic. Um, he, you know, kicked me and said, you're, running faster than me keep going uh we'll catch up later um and so uh he you know kind of had that acidotic experience and then that next year it was on the acidotic team and then year after that acidotic and year after that acidotic uh so for several years after that and uh it's um you know van one van two a lot of good experiences a lot of uh you know uh weird uh you know just those middle of the night uh legs that you would get through uh belmont and gilmanton and running up hills in the pitch black and not knowing where those hills ended and you just look at where the brake lights kept going from the 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 line of vans that were ahead of you um and just having no idea um when you were actually going to get to the next transition zone 
Um, but for some reason, he just kept on going back to it. It's a, it's a good, it was a, you know, it's a, it was a, it was a great experience for the running for sure. But, um, just it, it, it built a lot of good character, uh, too, to kind of, you had to have good discipline. Um, you had to be, uh, you had to be smart and yet, and you had to, um, you had to learn how to have fun in some difficult situations, right? Who wants to really get up at 2 a.m. to go out and run eight miles of hills? Um, you know, not, not many people, but if you can have the mental fortitude uh, to be able to do that, um, you can really, that can really carry over into in other important areas of your life. So some good lessons there. Yeah. And we talk about, we talk about the running community or we talk about the, you know, the, the sports specific community that we are involved with. And um, I mean, you were involved with the running community for many, many years, uh, road running and then, and then trail running, but just the, the, the running community in general, we talk about that and that concept. And we talk about the ethos of it. And we talk about the, the esprit de corps and the morale Reach the Beach is sort of this microcosm of that community because it's like, it, you know, it's 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 like it's it's like four thousand runners, you know, moving over 200 miles collectively together. Um, and so and so while, you know, you you are you're 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 in you're in a van with, you know, with five other people. Right. You're you're six teammates in that van and and your other and your other six teammates are in, are in a different van. And so you see that, you see that other van, you know, at a handful of times when the, you know, when, when, when runner six hands off to runner seven and runner 12 hands off to runner one. So you, you come into contact uh, with the other van. And then of course, you know, you're, you're participating in this event with all these other people too. So um, it, it, it's almost like this, it, it's almost like this, this living, breathing example of this community that, that you get a chance to, um, to have this, this, this common experience. And it's, it really was a cool, it really was a cool experience. Uh, you know, just at times just sort of stopping and thinking about what was actually happening, you know, 4,000 people, uh, you know, moving, moving over 200 miles and, and hundreds of hundreds of, of, you know, 12 passenger, uh, 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 rental vans and and all culminating at at Hampton Beach. Um, it just really kind of a cool thing, and 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 all sort of all different levels of of competitiveness too, right? I mean, they're 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 clearly were just those recreational teams. Those you know you could tell they were coworkers, and maybe half of the team kind of got roped into this at the last minute, not really having any idea what in the world they got talked into. Uh, but they're having a good time, and and then and then the the uber competitive teams, the teams up near the front, uh, you know who who were who were racing for for the win or or for the prestige of a really high finish, and everywhere in between, uh, a, a, a cool experience for sure. Um, and I mean, those are, those are some really good memories, some really, some really good times, some funny memories, um, some, <laughs> some painful memories, <laughs> um, but, um, but, but, but yeah, but overall just, uh, just a, a really cool thing. I mean, Karen and I did it for a decade, although I think, I think she actually did it 10 times. Uh, I, I stopped at nine. I was hurt the last year. I didn't get a chance to. To, to do it the last year that, uh, that she raced it, but, uh, good, good time. You know, the, 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 Chris, we, we did a lot of other, 
things together. We, we snowshoe raced together. Uh, we did other trail races together. We raced the river, uh, Merrimack river trail race together. Um, we, we, we dabbled in obstacle course racing, I believe. Early, early obstacle course racing before it was cool. Early obstacle course racing. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, 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 uh, I guess the last racing related story that, uh, that, that I'll have you, uh, recollect if, if, if you can is, uh, um, cause it's a pretty funny story. Um, the, the Bush of Bushwhack, the, the trail race in Massachusetts, there were at least two different distances. I think we did the shorter distance. There was a longer distance trail race. Uh, Richard Busha or Busa, right, was is this sort of iconic uh, snowshoe trail runner. Uh, he actually had a he had his own trail race, and uh, I don't know I don't know what prompted you and I to go down to do it, but we decided to go down and do it, and uh, and we were we were racing together. Um, <laughs> but and that that was a fall one, right? It was right around like Halloween. I think that's right. Yep. It was a fall. It was a fall trail race. And, um, in the very latter stages of the race, <laughs> um, somehow either I got off course or you got off course. Do you remember that? Do you remember that story of, of one of us or both of us getting lost? Um, yeah. Did we actually, we finished a race. It might've been our own race. Right? <laughs> But but I, I I think I remember that you you and I were like we were like racing like we were like second or third overall or third and fourth overall like we were really close to the front, yeah. And all we had to do was remember all we had to do was take that one last right hand turn to get back into the stem of the lollipop, because basically I think the course was like a lollipop, right? Yeah. There was a the the initial and the final section were the same same section the, the out and back. Uh, and then there was a lollipop. You did a big loop and then you had to take that right hand turn again to get back onto the stem of the lollipop to go finish the race. I don't think, I think we missed that turn. And we, I, I think we went from, you know, you were second and I was third or you were first and I was second or something like that to finishing just outside of the top three. I think that's my recollection. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember we, we screwed up and, uh, it just, it just goes to show you how, how, you know, a small, like a fraction of a second decision you make in a trail race, regardless of how hard you've worked over a long distance, you can, you can just screw up your whole day, depending on how you look at it. Um, you know, if you're, if you're focused on that podium finish, right, you can screw up your whole day. Um, and just a, a, a flash of a, of a second, but probably, shouldn't look at it as screwing up your whole day right um I, I remember having a conversation with my my wife one year getting ready for um um the uh ultra over at bear brook and uh i was all i was all nervous uh you know it was, you, you, know, you never got told how many miles the race was going to be um and uh, i'm getting i'm nervous i'm you know next day it's coming up and my wife is like what are you so worried about? You're going to go spend like five hours in the woods tomorrow. You love the woods. Like that's a hell of a way to spend the day. I'm like, all right, you're, it's a good point. You're right. Uh, all right. I'll go to bed now. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm actually glad you brought that race up too, because there's a, 
there's a there's a story there embedded in the in the Bear Brook Ultra. Something now that you're saying that I don't remember the details, but I remember somehow you were involved. Did did were did somebody take a a, a ride in an ambulance to the after the Bear Brook Trail race? What, Rich? Tell that. Wait a minute. Tell that story. Yeah. So that is a. Uh probably that's an even better one than seven sisters right so seven sisters you got some blood and a tourniquet and uh you know that's the end of it no real no real official hospital care uh bear brooks ultra i think it was like 30 miles that year i was trying to go from you know i'd gone from road marathons to trail and you know trail distance and then was trying to go up to ultra races and you know it just I couldn't get the nutrition for it. I couldn't, I couldn't really figure out and um, really dial in nutrition for anything over 20 miles out on, on the trail, despite how hard I was trying and had a great race for, you know, probably two thirds of it and didn't take care of myself that last third um, just in terms of, you know, if you're if you're one of those people like me that, you know, produces a lot of salt in your sweat, you've got to be really mindful of what you're bringing in for for different types of whether you're using uh, trail wind, um, whatever you're using for supplementing your water. You really got to be careful. And I didn't pay attention to it that year at all. And I, I finished. um just wasn't feeling quite right. Have conversation, talked with you, talked with Karen. I, I was, you know, thought I was good, hung around for a little bit, but still just not feeling right. Things aren't kind of coming back online like they normally would. I drive or my wife had come to the, come to the finish. She and I go over to uh, her parents um, just short distance away. And I'm starting to get some weird, weird feelings um as we're pulling up to the house just like different shaking vision issues all sorts of crazy crazy stuff and i'm like all right i'm doing my little mindfulness type trick and convincing myself this will pass you'll be fine don't admit that things are getting really bad and uh we we pull in the driveway and she's like all right let's go in i'm like no we gotta wait here for a little bit and she's like why i'm like well, I've started to get some weird tingling in my face and I'm losing sensation. And she runs in, gets her dad. They call the ambulance. Looks like it. I had the facial like features of a stroke. And um, ambulance shows up. They finally, they're able to kind of, get me hooked up to an IV, bring me over to Exeter Hospital. I spend um, spent one or two nights. Um, first night was, I was a wreck. Um, I was, um, uh, correct me with the correct medical terminology, but I was um, hypo- uh, um, hyponatremic hyponatremic um, they ended up giving me the equivalent of a horse tranquilizer 
um, that night to get me to calm down because I was so frantic. Don't remember any of it. So frantic that they couldn't get me to get my, um, my breathing down to be in a normal cadence. That was causing all sorts of uh, problems with uh, my uh, different uh, levels in my blood. Um, finally, so they give me, um, I think it was Cativan, um, you know, the, the horse tranquilizer, get me to calm down. They give me like the super duper um, bag of fluid that they very rarely use. And that got, and that's got my um, levels of like my magnesium and my sodium, all of that stuff started to come back online. But my wife spent the whole night, you know, you know, you, you know, you, you've made the right uh, life partner choice when you wake up in a ER um, that you don't really recall being brought to and your spouse is laying, you know, sitting next to you in a ridiculously uncomfortable chair that she spent the whole night in. Um, and it, it's just uh, and I and I felt great at that point. You know, I felt wonderful. Um, but I, I put her through hell that night, all, all, all for the, uh, all for getting a, uh, you know, 30 mile trail run in, um, and making some bad choices. Did you, uh, did you have to make her any promises that you would never do anything that dumb again? Um, she knew that those were probably foolish promises. Um, but she did start paying a lot more attention to, my uh, pre-race and in-race nutritional choices. So, um, you know, a, a lot more um, uh, that was being added to supplement my water, a lot more that was, um, you know, like legitimate real nutrition that I was having with me constantly for any long distance run or a race that I was doing. So um, she made sure, you know, and and my kids at the time were, were pretty young. And you, you remember the look on, um, uh, you know, kids don't appreciate a whole heck of a lot or, or fully appreciate serious situations because you as a parent try to, you know, you, you really try to bring it down to a level that's not going to get them nervous. Uh, but not when, when daddy doesn't come home for a night and neither does mommy because they're in, in the hospital and, and, and they saw me in the in the driveway before going into the ambulance the look on their face um that right there is the difference maker for making better choices that next time yeah for sure well speaking of next time did uh was that your last uh ultra or or did you did you race at that distance again i i did i didn't do um i didn't do the bear brook ultra after that i still have a little um I get the shakes when I drive by that part of New Hampshire um, in that parking lot. Um, but I did after that, I, we did um, what started off as the uh, pinnacle challenge out in Newport that you had got me into that double duathlon um, that those folks had, had put on that turned into the, the pinnacle ultra. I did. I think I did the pinnacle ultra twice after that experience um, and had better experiences out there for the most part when um at at some point um you you began to experience an issue with your hip um that 
as I'm recalling, was not a new issue for you. Um, and, uh, and, and, and this issue with your hip led to something pretty significant and, and somewhat, somewhat life-changing, at least from a physical activity standpoint. Uh, remind me, Rich, what, what was the history with, with, uh, with that hip? And then, um, how did you know that things were starting to go sideways with that hip? Yeah. You know, I, I'd always lacked a little bit of mobility and flexibility in that left side. Um, just not being able to do some of the things that other people would, would be able to do, whether it be, you know, the same type of um, box jumping or even just balance issues. Um, and I just kind of always um, explained it away. as just, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's just, they can do that. I can't. Um, and then it, you know, and I was getting to my late thirties, about to be 40 and um, started to have some um, pretty good, uh, what uh, just back issues, what I thought were back issues. And so started seeing a, a lot of uh, physical therapists um, trying to just figure this out, going through all sorts of different treatments um, and ultimately, it was through a visit with um, Amber Ferreira, um, uh, you know, world-class triathlete, all-around athlete, just, you know, great uh, granite stater in terms of her athletic uh, accomplishments. But she was seeing me for physical therapy, and she's like, you know, I think it's your hip, um, and ordered me uh, to get some imaging done. And... As soon as that imaging came back, it was um, one of those like they were amazed that I was still running on that hip. It was what was described as the hip of uh, an 80 year old, you know, in a 40 year old's body. And it was severe dysplasia. And they theorized, although, they, you know, you can't be certain with any of this stuff. Um, they theorized that none, it wasn't the running. Um, it wasn't all the, the, the miles, the road miles and the trail miles that had caused it it was something i had likely had since birth um that you know that uh, that um, that moment immediately after birth when the doctor is checking um all of your joints and does some uh you know snapping of uh of the hips they theorized that it didn't get done properly and so i'd had it my whole life because my other hip was perfect um see that perfect hip unperfect hip um, and, um, the, the, finally I, I went and I, and I saw some, uh, so I saw a hip preservationist, uh, saw some, saw some folks, uh, that really knew what they were doing. And, and, um, the, the two, uh, individuals that were really a great, was a, a hip preservationist here in Concord. And then ultimately the, my orthopedic surgeon, um, Dr. Ricardo Gonzalez down at the Elliott in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, they were the ones that told me, they said, Rich, you know, the, 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 the good news is you're a great candidate for, for a hip replacement. The bad news is that surgery is going to occur, um, when you're, um, in an age that starts with a four. Um, so basically telling me, Hey man, you're not getting out of your forties, uh, without getting hip replacement. I know that you is not what, you know, 40 year old is looking for. Um, and, uh, 
got the news. It was a Friday. Got the news. Um, told me that I couldn't run anymore. And running was all that I did. Um, you know, it was it was 12 months of the year. It was uh, snowshoe running. It was micro spike running. It was mud running. It was all different types of running. There really wasn't much other activity that I did. I just constantly did different types of running. And to be told um, immediately, like, not that you had to gradually give something up, but that you can't do this at all anymore. It was a, uh, it was really hard to, to grapple with. And I was on my way home. I stopped at the local convenience store, um, slash little food mart, I picked up a, a pizza to bring home that my wife had called in and, uh, and a six pack. And I'm walking out with the, the, pizza and a six pack. And I run into Brian Lavoy. Um, and you know, Brian was a, a person I had become really close with, but only because of, of uh, through acidotic connections. And, uh, he sees, sees me, Hey, what's going on? I tell him, yep. He's like, Hey, you had that doctor's appointment today. I'm like, yeah. And I told him what was up and without batting an eye, he just looks at me and says, wow, aren't you lucky? You have a lot of great friends who love biking, uh, love skiing, and you're just going to get into those. It's going to be fine. And uh, it was it was memorable because I was like, okay, um, he's still going to talk to me even though I can't run anymore. Um, and he's showing me that there's a path forward and a life after running because, you know, people that um, – get into running and running becomes an exercise in general becomes an, an important part of your life. Um, it influences and helps you with, with everything else. It helps. Um, I remember early on in my post college years, I felt that mornings that I was running, I was a more productive worker that day. I got more stuff done. I was a better student in law school. And then, once I get married and have kids, I'm like days that I was running, I was a better spouse. I was a, a better parent and it took some time and it took something like that injury for me to have, to really um, have some inner reflection to realize that I was good at all of that, even if I didn't run. And I had developed some, some um, dependencies or some real like psychological um, attachment to running that it was a little bit OCD, right? If, if I didn't get my run in, I felt the whole rest of the day was going to go to crap. And anything that I did the rest of that day was going to be a waste. And I was lazy, good for nothing for not having gotten out of bed early that morning to get my run in or allow something else to get in the way. And it took some time to realize that, you know, while running was important and exercise in general was important, it didn't need to be as important as I had allowed it to be um, in my life at that time. And I was able to, you know, through the support of a lot of friends, 
um, was able to transition before I had hip replacement surgery, I transitioned, um, to, um, gravel biking. Um, and that was like a duck in water. I'll tell you, man, like going from just being a, a really, um, um, avid trail runner, getting on that gravel bike and being able to go out in those same spaces, um, and go out and, and attack these long climbs and, and have that same feeling and that same benefit was, it was such a relief and similar with, uh, Nordic skiing and Alpine touring, um, realizing how hard you could, you could work at those types of, of those types of sports equivalent to, in a lot of ways, equivalent to that same, um, feeling that same energy exertion that you have from a good run. Um, but now I was able to bomb down the slopes uh, on skis after doing alpine touring laps at, you know, Pat's Peak here in Henniker. Um, just a, you know, it was, it was just a whole evolution of figuring out these other things that I could do, getting comfortable with them, getting good at them um, and um, embracing it and, and embracing it in a way that I didn't allow I wasn't allowing the activities to, to take over um, my life mentally the way that you can get to some places when you allow, when you allow any type of addictive behavior, um, you know, there's good and it can get bad. And I think having that life-changing moment of needing to, to shift away from uh, running, which was set, such an important role in my life. Um, and it, and it brought me into, um, so many great relationships that I had in my life, but to then see that there was, there was a, a path forward, there was light on the other side, right? <laughs> I had all these other activities I could do, needed to spend some time getting good at them and developing some skill, but I could still have those relationships. I could still, get out there and get that, that mental and physical benefit that, um, um, just my brain, you know, really needs. And, um, uh, I think I've, I think I've struck in a, a better balance, um, between getting in all of those, um, uh, that, that type of activity, making sure you're getting out there and getting at it, um, for both the physical and the, and the mental, uh, well-being. but, also realizing that if it doesn't happen on a day, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you're still, you can still be great at what you're doing that day. And, you know, that next day, get out there. Um, and uh, that, that better balance and just being in a better mental state, I think is all um, it, it, for me of, of just knowing, um, you know, no one knows you better than you, right? And um, knowing where I was um, from a mental health perspective prior to having this experience with uh, with my hip, and knowing where I am now, it's a it's a much healthier place, and it's a it, it's good to it's good to it's good to get there and uh, um, not have the uh, um, that uh, that same feeling of. Um, uh, you know, not getting, not getting out there and getting at it at, on a, on a single day and ruining that whole day. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I've had this conversation with other, with other guests. Um, you know, the, 
the, the, the differences between passion, obsession, and addiction, right? Not that your exercise habit necessarily was what uh, was an addiction, but even things that are that are an, an obsession can create some disharmony uh, between your your active lifestyle and all the other important things in your life, like your family, you know, and uh, and and your livelihood. Um, uh, it. it it's funny that that interaction with with Brian um, was the catalyst to help you pivot so quickly, um, seemingly so quickly, um, from um, from exercise as the as the sort of the, the only active outdoor release for you uh, to be to 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 be able to sort of. Uh, to, to broaden your horizon and perspective uh, on some other on some other things that that um, maybe don't replace running one for one, um, but but can but can provide to you the you know the the important things that running was providing to you at least in part you know the ability to get out in the na in nature, the ability to to the, the physicality associated with, uh, with 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 exercise or physical activity. Yeah, um, I remember Chris when I used to uh, when I was only running and I'd be talking with with the uh, you know Danny Ferreira and Jason Massa about different um, tri events or or bike events that they were going to and I had no interest at all right and. I'd be talking to them and I'd be like, oh, well, you, you're just going to recover after that run when you're on the bike, right? I mean, it's that's when you're going to, you can have a sandwich, you can get that nutrition, you're just spinning, you're just spinning along. It's super easy. You're, you'll recover then and you'll be fine for the, for the next event. And then to get out there and experience it and uh, realize that is not the case at all. Um, <laughs> You know, you've got you've got to work hard to get up that hill, my friend, and uh, you better be in a solid gear or else you're getting left in the dust. And, and, you know, we have that competitive streak in us. And we also have the unfortunate experience of, of hanging around with a lot of fast, super fit people and um, just trying to keep up with keep up with those folks, you know, climbing an endless dirt climb. It's a. Uh, you are working um, and you feel good when you get to the top of that thing, man. You feel yeah. Yeah. really good and yeah. uh, it, it's nice to experience it. Um, I mean, I, you know, it, I, I say this to my clients all the time who, um, you know, who are principally focused in, in one primary sport. Um, I'm always encouraging them to, uh, to have other avenues of, of outdoor pursuit. Uh, so for my runners, I'm, you know, I, I always ask about whether or not they have a bike or have access to a bike. Same thing for my cyclist. Uh, do you have, do you have any interest, uh, in, in adding some running? I do think there, 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 there are advantages to that course. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had a similar experience when, when I was diagnosed with, uh, with osteoarthritis in my right knee, wasn't sure at the time that I was diagnosed if I was going to be able to run again, like like I had uh, run in the past. But thankfully for me, I had bikes, and I had always ridden bikes, and so um, my bikes became um, became my my physical activity outlet 
they eventually became my competitive outlet as well. So I'm 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 super thankful that um, that I had bikes, and um, and and my transition um, and my pivot, uh, at least for me temporarily in, into cycling was was not really was not that terribly difficult. Your um, your your hip replacement, uh, Rich. How, how long were you out of? Yeah, I was. Um, so I, I had several years of trying to deal with it without having surgery. Um, you know, trying to delay surgery as long as I could, and uh, so that was you know introductory in, into gravel biking and really embracing all types of skiing all winter. Um, and you know, Nordic when you can do it, but our New England winters right now, as we learned through the days of our, the snowshoe running circuit, uh, you know, the new England winters are not predictable and are not always kind with natural snow to be able to do those types of activities. And so then at first I was doing, um, I was, I was out on a studded mountain bike in the mornings in the pitch black going down gravel roads, um, trying to avoid frozen muddy ruts and thinking that was my only my only uh, opportunity in the winter where I couldn't run and I couldn't ski because there wasn't enough snow. Uh, and then I found Alpine touring with uh, um, having uh, good gear for skinning. And man, is that, that's got, I think that's my favorite activity right now. Um, you know, getting to, uh, you know, you know, we have some resorts west of Concord with uh, Pat's Peak and Henniker and, and Sunapee uh, a little bit further northwest that have, you know, good policies. They're good supportive of allowing people in the community to use the facilities. You know, you got to stick to the rules, but, uh, um, you know, it's a, it's a great, great activity. You work your tail off, um, to, you know, get up the mountain, um, and then quick conversion. You're in your, your, your downhill, um, uh, gear and, um, you can just bomb down the mountain and what we do um, we're on the mountain when it's fully groomed and no one's been out on it yet. Um, it's a, it's a hell of a way to start your day. And uh, it's a, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So I got into all that and was trying to delay surgery as long as I could. Um, and then uh, ended up having uh, my hip replaced in uh, t- uh, 2021. Um, and um I was on, I had it replaced in November. I was back on Nordic skis at the end of December. And I was back uh, doing AT and skiing up and down the mountain by the first week in uh, January. Wow. Um, my, my, my orthopedic surgeon was not aware of that. But my, <laughs> my super duper and i owe so much to this man uh for being such a incredible um physical therapist during my recovery uh ryan kelly was um i can't hug that that guy enough um so supportive so thoughtful in the type of physical therapy that he had me doing tailoring it to what i wanted to do and then really putting me through my punches to make sure that, um, you know, I was accountable. I was, I was putting in the work and, uh, you know, he had me, he had me back going down the slopes, you know, 
six weeks after after I had a you know robotic hip installed. So it's pretty damn good. Pretty amazing. Um, of course, you know you 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 had this hip replaced as you said earlier with uh, uh, with with your age starting with a number four. So you had your hip replaced in your forties. Um, you know that. This this alpine touring uh, seems pretty aggressive. Uh, I mean, it's not mobile skiing, um, right? Yeah. But it's but it's also not you know it's not it's not uh, classic uh, Nordic skiing either. Um, have your hip replaced in your forties with that with that type of winter uh, recreational pursuit uh, pers- and pursuits. What's the likelihood that you uh, <laughs> that you shorten the lifespan of that of that robotic hip, and uh, you're back having the hip done again? You know, say in your in your sixties. Yeah, and that's you know, and that that's a concern. And you know, when I had you know, I've had a lot of conversation with the um, orthopedic surgeon and. And, 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 you know, he was good. He was, he was confident in what he had done. They don't really, they're not really, they don't know the full life span of the parts they're putting in these days. Um, they know they're lasting longer than the, the prior generation of parts. Um, but, you know, according to um, all of these professionals that helped and were instrumental in my recovery um they were they were okay with me getting back into you know running once a week um and what i what i decided to do was i'm not going to do anything with that type of impact um i'm not going to get back into running at all i'm going to stick with low impact um activity and to the extent that I can keep this hip, you know, into what is hopefully, you know, 80s and 90s, that's the goal. So, so I'm, so I'm, I'm intentionally staying away from, from, from the real stressful impact type activity. Um, you know, other than running after, running after my dog or running after my kid in the yard, um, and really being um, religious about um you know sticking to cycling um and sticking to um um alpine touring and uh you know i'm and i'm i'm probably more careful than others on on the descent um um i enjoy ripping it up but i'm also careful enough where uh you know the hips feeling good you know it's it's feeling it's feeling really solid in these these activities um, as long as I do my, I'm doing my maintenance, I got to get better at my maintenance. I was never good at maintenance. I showed up for races and then I left. I didn't do, I didn't do any sort of, uh, pre-race stretching, post-race, uh, dynamic workouts. I didn't do any of that. And now, um, I've got to be much more attentive, um, to those types of daily routines. Um, and, and so far it, it's working. Uh, it's working really well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you mentioned uh, well, you mentioned both Amber uh, and and Ryan, uh, the, the the two PTs that uh, that that you had seen. 
Um, and, and you particularly um, uh, mentioned, Ryan, with regard to getting you back, um, getting you back on skis. Um, I'm, I'm sure uh, Ryan had a uh, you know, gave you a series of uh, you know, home exercises to follow. But but my question is, I mean, you mentioned you, know, you, you mentioned your, your cycling, uh, you know, a little bit of Nordic skiing and this alpine touring. Um, do you do any strength training to, uh, to keep the soft tissues that support that hip, uh, as strong as they can possibly be? Um, I should do more. Um, you know, Ryan had me, um, with some, uh, you know, in a great, great routine, um, where I, where I have my, my note at home. It's, uh, it's still, it's a yellow sticky note it says Ryan's essential three still on my pegboard um and um some weeks i'm better at that uh you know being attentive to that than others um with um uh you know with all of his different various types of exercises that were all um reinforcing the fact that i have had a lifetime of having bad balance um and uh trying to get that better um, and some of them are just types of exercises that I'm not comfortable with and probably never will be, but just got to keep on doing them and it, and strengthening those, those, uh, those balance muscles that will, will keep, um, the rest of the hip functioning the way it's supposed to, um, and just being religious with that. So, you know, I, I've tried, I've, I've, you know, I've tried to stay stay really attentive to that but the days of you know i did extended pt with ryan after surgery i think i was with him for six months and uh you know he and i would would be in uh his uh the physical therapy studio that he was in we'd both be on bosu balls um throwing probably like you know i don't know five pound or eight pound balls back and forth at each other and uh i i think he was getting in you know, I was getting in a really good workout. I think I saw him sweating occasionally. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And I think he was having a lot of fun with it, too, because it, it um, where, you know, he's a, an athlete of a different caliber than I am. But we're we're like minded in our approach um, to to activities. And uh, I think he was able to design a program similar to what he would have designed for himself. And, uh, you know, I'd be going through doing, you know, uh, you know, different, uh, he had me throwing around stupid, silly weight, um, for full body squats, but in a careful, um, careful way that he knew that it had me building up to things. Um, but just different band training and he would, he would be there to like, um, you know, pull the, pull the weight, pull the band unexpectedly different directions and i just the first time he did it i kind of looked at him with a kind of wtf look in my face and he looked back at me and goes you never know what the snow is going to throw at you when you're out there skiing, so deal with it it's I'm like all right all right you're right you're right uh <laughs> it, that, that's uh that's actually a good segue uh into uh into this this last question about uh about the hip um you know, through through all of this stuff uh, with your with your hip, 
Rich, um, what important lesson or lessons do you think that this taught you about overcoming adversity? Um, I, I think what it what it taught me is that um, don't underestimate yourself and don't under under don't underestimate what you're capable of doing. Um, you know, you you can get into um, routines and routines are comfortable um and routines are good in a lot of ways right they 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 keep you um on a good path forward um but it's okay to get out of that routine um occasionally it's um you know when you when you um i've always i've always been a big fan of challenging myself um in a lot of ways and you know with our stories that we shared around running and it wasn't i wasn't ever shy about that but um challenging myself in a way that made me get out of my routines um was both was both physically challenging and mentally challenging and um you you've you've got to i think in order to continue to 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 grow and um uh, to just be an overall mentally and physically healthy person. Um, I think you've, you've got a, um, you know, a great example of this is, you know, you got to drive to work different routes, right? Um, you've got a, you got to, you know, you've got to eat different things for lunch. You've got to, um, do different for me. It's do different activities. Um, you know, you, you need, need structure, um, but um, getting, allowing yourself to get out of that and uh, with, with the challenges with my hip, it forced, it forced so much of my life to get turned upside down. Um, but um, through, through all of that challenge, you can, you can arrive at a much stronger place and a much, much healthier place. And you just got to have the confidence in yourself that that you're going to get there. And it always helps to have surrounded yourself with, um, you know, caring, like-minded individuals that can help you along the way. All of that reminds me um, of of one of my uh, one of my favorite quotes from a famous American essayists, essayist and poet, um, that, that, that quote goes like this, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Of course, the essayist that I am referring to is Ralph Waldo Emerson. That's a good segue. I think. <laughs> and they're going to think that we rehearsed that, Chris. <laughs> and then I, I no, do no rehearsing there at all. I do some show prep sometimes. This <laughs> this show actually I I did zero show prep. Um uh so I'm I'm completely winging it uh uh on uh, uh tonight. But but anyway, I think it's going pretty well. Uh but that's a good segue into uh into a project uh that that you and I uh, uh, that, that you and I do jointly. And that of course is the Ralph Waldo Emerson trail race in Concord, New Hampshire. You are the, 
uh, well, you are the you are the lead uh, race director. Uh, I, I guess I am the associate uh, race director, um, and um, and that race is coming up. Uh, well, this uh, this show uh, is being is being released on May first. Uh, our Ralph Waldo Emerson Trail Race uh, is happening on Saturday, May sixth. So let's talk a little bit, little bit about the Ralph Waldo Emerson Trail Race. Um, actually, let's 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 start with this before we get into the the nitty gritty details uh, about this year's race. Uh, tell us a little bit about the history of the race. Uh, this was a race actually that you approached me with, uh, rather than than vice versa. So this was this was your brainchild. Uh, how did this race come to be? Yeah, and so with the, uh, you know, I made the um i joke that it was a mistake but clearly not not a mistake i'm I'm happy i did but i opened my mouth and pointed out to at the time um where my kids were going to the the ralph waldo emerson preschool you know here here in concord um they've they've always uh you know they've they've been you know helping educate um three and four year olds here in the, the concord area for the better part of 50 years and uh um, they were, they were strategizing about different ways that they could help raise money for, whether it be for scholarships, uh, whether it be for different ways that they could support their continued mission and being able to operate. Um, and I said, well, you know, you've got this great trail system right behind you. Have you ever thought about doing a trail race? And their eyes lit up and they'd like, no, that sounds great. I'm like, oh yeah, I could, I could probably talk to some people. We could see what we can do. And then next thing you know, you've been putting on a race for seven years and <laughs> now you're coming back to the eighth and your, your children are, are long gone from the days of attending preschool. Um, but you still find yourself committed to, to the organization and, and trying to help them out. And it's just, you know, the, the reason why I continue to want to work and, and help out um, the Emerson Preschool is I've all of, you know, I think it, it goes back to to being raised by two um, public school teachers. Um, but anyone who so uh, selflessly devotes themselves to helping young individuals um, become um, more aware of their community, more aware of the people that are around them and and better human beings and teaching them the right way to a, approach life and giving them such a, a head start. Um, they just there's a special place in my heart uh, for those type of people. And, and it's why I keep on coming back. It's why I, I spend a lot of time. Um, helping put on this event, um, you know, and, and because of the partnership uh, with Acidotic um, is, is how we're able to do it. Um, but it's a great organization. It, it stands, um, you know, any, again, anyone, um, you know, our, our people in our childcare community, our, our preschool community, our public educators, they're not in it for the money. Right. And, um, they, they could be doing a lot of other things with their talent and skill that would um, provide them with a lot more income, but yet they're devoted um, 
to their profession and the the level of commitment they have at the Emerson Preschool to making sure that the, the children and the families that are coming in to that facility um, are, are just, they're, they're given a, a, a great um, opportunity to learn how to properly interact with other people um, in a very accepting, very inclusive, non-judgmental way. And I think that I think that's a very important early life skill uh, to be teaching people. And they, they do it in a, in, a, in a great way where kids don't even realize what's going on. They're having fun. And, um, you know, they continue to do this year in and year out. Um, some new teachers have come in, new to when uh, my kids were there, but, but some of the, the familiar faces, um, you know, the, the woman that was the longtime executive director, um, she recently passed away. And uh, my wife and I went to her memorial service. And um, there's not many times in my life that, um, you know, I, um, I, I cry at uh, family related events, you know, with a, with a loved one who's passed away. Um, but there I am at a, a funeral service for someone, you know, was a executive director for a preschool that my kids spent a few years at and, um, was impactful enough, not only on my kids' lives, but on my life where, um, you know, we were there at her service and, um, were brought to tears just by the, the outpouring of support and seeing all of the other people whose lives she had touched. And it's, it's just very symbolic of, of the Emerson preschool and why I, I continue to, uh, devote, um, time and energy to helping this organization raise money through the trail race. And, uh, so excited to bring it back here after the, uh, the, um, uh, you know, the temporary, uh, break that we had uh, because of COVID, and uh, now coming back here for our, our eighth race, I think you know I think this could be um, the uh, best uh, two courses that we've had. We've had to um, alter a little bit because of uh, the city making some changes on the these public trail systems um, over the last few years. With they're seeing a lot of. Uh, um, a lot of additional usage of the trails. So they had to be uh, much more attentive to uh, the trail systems that they had in place, that they were going to the correct properties. So they, they've been doing a remarkable job at maintaining the trails. Um, and I've got uh, some some great courses on some, some classic technical uh, single track, um, some, some, some dizzying, um, uh, twisty turny stuff, um, beautiful views. Once you get to the top of your climb, uh, looking out to the western part of New Hampshire, uh, looking down on the on the on the Capitol Dome of the State House. Um, so some some great uh, some great trail systems right here in downtown Concord. That um, uh, I don't think people realize how lucky and how uh, fortunate they are to have it right in their backyard. And I love showcasing it with the Emerson Trail Race. Yeah, I do think it's it, it's one of those peculiarities where uh, there is this amazing uh, trail network, <clears throat> you know, just adjacent to the uh, 
to the to the heart of the downtown area. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, but uh, isn't the Ralph Waldo Emerson Trail Race one of the larger fundraisers for the school each year? Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it most uh, in the last few years of the race, it's been um, their largest fundraiser that they've done. So they they do a nice job of of using the event to get out there and and talk with business organizations in the greater Concord area, organizations that have a connection uh, to the Emerson Preschool, and, and even those that don't, um, and are able to uh, get a lot of support, a lot of financial support from organizations um, in Concord and beyond, and uh, you know raise some important money that allows them to uh, have the operational resources to continue, allows them to be able to provide some um, important scholarships for uh, families that might might not otherwise be able to afford uh, to send their kids to a to a, a you know a private um, preschool um, right here in Concord. So th it's a lot of a lot of important things that are done as a result of uh, you know what we're able to raise and uh, put together with this race. So uh, something to really be proud of. Um, well, you certainly have put in a lot of work um, into this event over the last uh, many years. <clears throat> so you mentioned there was a little bit of a, a little bit of a layoff. Uh, we are bringing this race back in 2023. The last year this race was held was 2019. Yeah, that is correct. We were. 2019 was our seventh race and uh now this will be this will be our eighth mm. um yeah i mean we of course we 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 made the decision in 2020 not to hold the race I and mean, this race is in may you know the pandemic uh really was was heating up at that time so i mean not a whole lot was happening in may of 2020 so that was a pretty easy decision uh, May of 2021, things were coming back around, but there still were some significant challenges, um, and um, it just it it became untenable for us to even consider um, uh, bringing the race back. Last year, um, you know, it, it we 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 just couldn't come to uh, to to a sort of a, a collective understanding. Um, uh, about, you know, the, the, the best way to handle uh, vaccines and vaccine proof and vaccine verification. And uh, so it just, it, 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 it made more sense for us to hold off one more year um, uh, so that we could come back, um, uh, so that we could come back uh, as an organization and, 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 and host the race like we hosted it in 2019. So, um, so anyone, anyone that had, had raced with us in, in 2019 or even prior to 2019, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get that same feel and, and, and vibe, um, on, uh, on, on Saturday, May 6th. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned some, some changes to the trail network, uh, since the race was held in 2019. Um, Talk a little bit about that. So you, you mentioned there are two distances. Um, historically, those those two distances have been right around four miles and 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 just under eight miles um, for the short course and long course. 
are those distances, those two distances uh, going to be uh, approximately the same this year? Yeah, uh, they are. So the, the distances will remain the same. The good thing is um, what we're able to do is is create better separation for the short course and the long course. Um, that's always been a, a little bit of a challenge in terms of course logistics in years past was, um, you know, keeping keeping them separated, knowing which uh, which course you were supposed to be on, which race you were supposed to be on. Um, and we had always done the long course was primarily really two uh, two loops with a little bit of add on of the short course. And so what they're, what we're able to do this year is the short course will be able to stay on that traditional loop um, where, where folks that have done this before you, you run up a long grind of what used to be uh, the old St. Paul's Skeeto Hill. Um, so you go up a nice long switchback, uh, get some sweeping views looking to the Western part of the state. Um, and then you go out through some uh, nice technical uh, single track uh, and you uh, double back um, and uh, come back uh, and um, back to the the start. Uh, the long course this year, you're going to start the same same place. You're going to go out the same trail system, but then you're going to be able to uh, take advantage of a new uh, trail network that connects two really gorgeous uh, city-owned trail systems. And um, we're able to uh, connect out from uh, the Winant Park system, which is city-owned. And then uh, we're able to connect out on on all um, uh, city uh, city trails on either city land or on, on easements. I know uh, Five Rivers Conservation Trust holds a lot of these easements. They're a wonderful organization promoting um, 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 nice widespread diverse usage of of our, our resources um, and you're able to go out to the Marjorie Swope trail system, which um, a, a real uh, kick in the pants, uh, technical climb, not all that different than a seven sisters type climb um, shorter. Um, you do a nice loop with a, with a pretty incredible view um, looking out towards uh, Pentecook Lake. Um, and then you double back, uh, come back through uh, that that back to the Winet system. You do about eight miles in total, and you're you're back to the uh, the same parking area where we started. Got it. Um, yeah, and we'll we will get um, updated uh, GPX tracks um, on the uh, on the website and through our our social media channels um, because that that uh, the short course essentially is the same. Um, as years past, correct? But the long course uh, now is a little bit different. Um, same distance, same distances, but 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 the long course takes advantage of uh, access to some some new trail networks um, or some other trail networks. So we'll 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 get the GPX uh, tracks uh, on on the long course. But again, good news is the distances uh, are not are not that different. So folks that have been preparing for the long course. Um, you know, the, the distance is the same. Um, the course map will need to be updated uh, on the website. In terms of um, in terms of trail conditions, you know, again, we're we're early May here in New Hampshire. Uh, I mean, I can uh, only speaking from my experience, uh, just a little bit south and uh, uh, or 
east of Concord, south and east of Concord, where I am here in Stratford. Um, the trails are pretty dry. Um, uh, what have you seen if you've been out there or, or what do you expect in terms of uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of the surface? A uh, lot of lot of wet, muddy puddles. Is it likely to be dry? What's your what's your anticipation? So I what we've been seeing, particularly right right in here in the Concord area is, you know, we've been fairly windy um, these these last couple of weeks as we've kind of lost the last of our snow. And, you know, that that wind um, can uh, uh, keep some of the days a little bit chillier than you would like, but it really dries up the, the trails well. And uh, um, I, th I think, you know, not knowing uh, what we have in store between now and, and May 6th for the race and what we might get for some wet weather, um, it's definitely drier right now than in years past. Um, There'll, there'll be some mud. Uh, there, there are sections of this trail network that stay wet, you know, 12 months of the year. Um, but um, nothing, uh, you know, we're not, uh, we're not looking at any crazy river crossings or any, any muddy moose, Wolfboro, New Hampshire type of, uh, you know, running, running Good up reference. your hips in water, not knowing what you're actually running through type Good of reference. situations. Yes. Good um, reference. But I, I, but I mean, right now, if things hold the way they are, I think this will be, you know, one of the 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 drier um, years that we've had. And now, in saying that, I have cursed us, and we're probably going to be looking at <laughs> a forty degree day with light misty rain that is great for um, all things. Uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a race director's dream, right? To be uh, to run, be running around in uh, uh, frostbite finger conditions. It's yeah, great. and yeah, and just just a little behind the curtain uh, as a race director, the absolute worst conditions to host a race in are wet conditions, uh, particularly particularly rain, um, because um, <laughs> it, I don't have anywhere to put my wet gear when i get home so you know I, I my 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 vehicle has to stay uh outside as i uh as i as i cannibalize all my garage space to uh to to dry out all my wet gear and it can it can take days so um uh rain uh on race day for a race director is no bueno um so short course um short course starts at 10 Long course starts at 1020. So there's a 20 minute offset between the short course and the long course. That's uh, that's to give uh, folks um, uh, the, the majority, if not all of uh, all of the, the short course participants, an opportunity to clear the course so that the long course participants have a have a clean run to the point at which they they've got to go out and, 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 and do that add on section. So there shouldn't there shouldn't really be any overlap. Maybe, and I'm trying to think in years past, I, I believe in years past, our our final short course finisher maybe gets passed by the first couple of long course finishers, but there's but there isn't that much overlap generally, just the way that you the way that we have the the two races offset. Um, and of course, the length of the long course being uh, almost twice as long as the short course, right? So, so there's not there's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, of traffic um, that folks have to weed through, correct? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think this year, uh, because of, of how it's going to be set up, the long course people won't see anyone in the short course at that beginning. Um, now, when they come back and are on uh, that, uh, b- that uh, beginning and end part of that trail that serves as the beginning of both courses, they could be seeing some of the short course people at that point. But it, it's a good section for that to occur in because it, it's not the the single um, uh, single track section of the race. So it's a it's a it's a wider, um, more um, uh, you know wider more Nordic style type of um, path at that. Point. And so it won't it won't be any problem. Got it. Uh, two track or double track. Sometimes we yeah yeah to, exactly to that. Um, so we're going to plan to do uh, uh, bib bib pickup and day of event registration starting at eight thirty uh, that morning. Again, with the short course starting at ten and the long course starting at ten twenty. All of the details, by the way, um, uh, uh, for this race can be found on our website at acidoticracing.com and then just click on the Ralph Waldo Emerson trail race logo and that'll take you to the event page. Online registration will remain open um, through Thursday. I'm looking at the actual date, Thursday, May 4th. uh, And online registration will close Thursday, May 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, with day of event registration being offered. Um, And uh, day of event t-shirts for sale as well. So if you missed out, if you missed out on getting your t-shirt when you registered, because we had to, we had to close the, uh, that online store a little bit early so that the good folks over at Collins Sports can get their um, get everything printed up. Um, but the uh, the school has uh, purchased a whole bunch of shirts for day of sale. So we'll have uh, we'll have shirts uh, for folks that morning, um, uh, but will likely go pretty quick. So, uh, um, you know, get get there a little bit early and uh, you can check out the the nice uh the good material, good, nice Kelly Green, Ralph Waldo Emerson trail race T-shirt, and uh, um, can can uh, have that to be able to tell stories later. Perfect. Uh, what else can we tell people about the uh, the race? Are there are there aid stations on the course? Yeah, the long course will have a water station that folks will hit twice. Uh, so they'll hit it on their way out. They'll hit it on their way back. Um, that will be a, um, uh, it won't be a manned aid station, but it will have, um, uh, uh, probably just going to go with, um, water, maybe some electrolyte mix that will be there. Um, but that should give folks enough support, uh, together with, uh, you know, other, uh, nutrition that folks will have with them for what they they know their body needs for, uh, you know, spending um, eight miles out in the woods, whatever they need. So that will that will help supplement that. And uh, the short course um, will have a lot of, you know, there'll be good food at that finish line, but there uh, won't be a, an aid station uh, for the short course. But, um, you know, bagels, uh, 
from our friends at Bagel Works here in Concord. Um, we'll be there waiting for folks along with some other uh, other good treats. And uh, so enough to um, um, carry you forward for the rest of your day. Mm. Um, it's, you mentioned Bagel Works. Um, any, any other local businesses uh, off the top of your head that, uh, uh, that, that, that you know uh, that are supporting the the race one way or another. Um, yeah, they've we've they've gotten some great um, uh, support from from around the greater community. But I'll I'll tell you one that really sticks out to me, uh, just with their their support for the Emerson Trail Race, but support for for running in general in, in the in all of New Hampshire's Northeast Delta Dental. Um, Tom Raffio, uh, the president over there. He's they're just uh, uh, could not be more supportive of the New Hampshire running scene, um, whether it be road trail. Um, they probably are, are even supporting other types of activities beyond that. But, um, you know, an, another year of Northeast Delta Dental um, just really uh, coming to the table, coming up big, um, recognizing. Uh, the importance of the organization with the Emerson Preschool and um, also recognizing the importance of of keeping people moving and uh, getting out there and uh, spending a Saturday morning running through the woods. So a big thank you to Tom Raffio and Northeast Delta Dental for their continued support. Yeah, they're they uh, they're they're big supporters uh, of, of what we do with acidotic racing as well. They um, they uh they they're they're very generous uh, with our two mountain races, our Cranmore Mountain Race and our Waterville Valley uh, Mountain Race. Uh, I mean, you, boy, you 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 can't show up at a road race or trail race or mountain race in New Hampshire and not see uh, not see Delta Dental there uh, participating uh, one way or another. And if you're lucky, uh, you actually get a chance to run into. Uh, uh, to, to Tom, uh, and, uh, and his wife, Ellen, uh, uh, who, who are <laughs> who in, in many cases, uh, are there racing in the events that they so generously support. Um, okay. Um, what else do people need to know? Oh, actually, I, I got a question for you. I, I, I actually received this question the other day um, via email. Um, this is uh, this is a, a good forum for you to answer this question uh, publicly. Um, can people walk the race? Uh, are are walkers permitted? Uh, yes, um, we've we've allowed walkers in in years past. Um, we just ask that they. Um, indicate that uh preferably uh to me so we can we can mark that and we know you know around how long they're going to be out there and and make sure you know based on whether they're doing the short course or the long course um because we will make sure like all acidotic events we do make sure that everyone who enters the woods comes out of the woods so yes ideally. Uh, um we will we will want to make sure that we know that you know if they're going to be walking. So we have some ideas to when they're going to be finishing and um, we'll be making sure that they, they have a, a good experience and uh, um, but certainly walkers are walkers are welcome. Uh, all right. So um, a, a, another frequently asked question is, uh, and, and honestly, sometimes people don't even ask, they just show up um, with their dogs. Uh, so um, we're dog owners. 
Um, we love dogs. Um, can people can people race with their dog? Um, I think we've allowed that in years past. Um, and and I, and uh, it's something. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris. It's something generally allowed at other acidotic trail events. Is that accurate? Um, it's a that's a good question. So um, so dogs are not permitted to race at our USATF USA Track and Field sanctioned events, uh, which would include. Um, our two mountain races, Cranmore Mountain Race and Waterville Valley Mountain Race. Uh, this year, actually, the Kingman Farm Trail Race is, a, is going to be a USATF sanctioned race as well because it's part of the all-terrain series. Um, so in, 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 in our USATF sanctioned events, our sanctioning um, permitting does not allow us, uh, uh, does not allow us to allow people to run with their dogs. Generally speaking, we have never promoted that um, uh, at our non-sanctioned events. We don't promote it, um, but we also don't uh, uh, we don't prohibit it. What we do ask people to do if they are going to run with their dog, understanding that not everybody is a dog person. It's hard for me to believe. But I know that it's true. Not everybody is a dog person. Uh, and even dog people, you know, don't necessarily want to get tangled up in long leashes uh, when they're when they're trying to, you know, to, to run a run a trail race. What we ask people to do at our non-sanctioned events, if they are going to run with their dog, we ask them to start in the back of the field um, and uh, and 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 give the uh, everyone else who doesn't have a dog uh, with them. Um, uh, some unencumbered or un uninhibited uh, access to the trails uh, and and our race course. So, um, so not prohibited, um, but we just we we just ask dog owners who are going to run with their dogs to uh, uh, to just to to be respectful of of other people who showed up not expecting it to be a cane across or cane a trail race. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good way. You know, I think that's a good rule of thumb is, you know, as long as, you know, as long as people are, are smart and respectful about it um, so that it's, it's not, you know, just as long as we're, you're not getting in the way of, you know, someone else's day. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think, yeah. I think as long as people are, can, can follow those rules. And I, I think the dogs will have a great day too. Yeah. And, 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 and I guess the, the last thing that I'll say about that is that, I mean, there are some trail networks that prohibit dogs, that dogs are not permitted on. Uh, I mean, I know that's not the case with, with Kingman Farm. It's a very popular dog walking spot. I'm, I'm assuming the Winant trails and that, those trail networks are also, uh, dogs are also welcome, right? Uh, they're, not, they're not prohibited. No, that's correct. Dogs, dogs are allowed on, on all of these trails. Right. So, so, so e e even if we, even if we, even if we would permit dogs to 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 participate in our events sometimes local uh or venue specific uh restrictions would always apply and trump 
uh, whatever our particular policy or stance is on something. Um, all right. Yeah, those are those are common. The common questions we get, you know, aid stations. Can walkers participate? Can I bring my dog? Um, actually, la uh, actually, a final frequently asked question, uh, Rich, and that's because um, I also just addressed this question the other day. Is there a time limit? Um, no. Uh, so um, we, we don't have a cutoff. Um, you know, the, the distances are, are such that, you know, I've never felt that we really needed to have one. Um, and, you know, I've, this, this, is a, this is a race that is open to runners of all types, right? Um, we can have our, our, our crazy, uh, you know, folks from the, the, the mountain circuit um, that are, are, are going to show up and just blow up the course um, and be done well, uh, well ahead of when we thought they should have been done. Um, and then we'll have other people that are going to going to be spending more time out in the woods. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no time limit. We'll, um, we'll likely uh, be checking in on those folks that, that take a little bit longer, um, making sure that things are, are okay. Um, and um, not, uh, rushing them along and um, you know when they are all done is is when uh, the full course will get swept and um, you know hopefully hopefully they'll uh, they'll still be food for them when they get through <laughs> well when we know that there are still one or two people out there and uh, and and we see that the aid station or the the, the post-race uh, food spread is beginning to get broken down. We always make sure that we set aside some uh, refreshments for those folks that are finishing at the back of the field. Yeah. And with the other thing, I guess, with, re with regard to, to time limit, I mean, if, you know, if, if you are anticipating uh, that you are likely to be going to walk uh, primarily the entirety of the course, um, I, I would, for the for the safety and the well-being uh, and out of respect for our volunteers, I would encourage those people to participate in the short course, uh, get a get a taste for what uh, trail walking or trail racing looks like, uh, prepare, uh, prepare yourself the next year and then come back and, and tackle the long course. I'm not sure the long course necessarily sets up well for walkers. That's going to, that would be a, that would be a long or longer walk. Um, but the short course for sure. Again, we're not prohibiting anyone from walking the long course. Uh, we would just ask people um, out of courtesy, particularly for our, for our volunteers uh, to maybe consider walking the short course uh, rather than walking the long course. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that's, that makes perfect sense. Um, what have I missed? Anything else I missed, Rich, about the Ralph Waldo Emerson Trail Race coming up on May 6th in Concord, New Hampshire? Um, no, I, I think we've done a, a good job talking about it. Really excited to get to get back into uh, putting on this event. And um, these trails are a wonderful resource, beautiful area to be out in. It's great to get out and spend a, a, a morning um, out in the woods. But you got to remember, technical trail systems, roots and rocks, they do bite. And uh, yes. always be looking down, careful of what you're doing. Um, we want to get you out of the woods um, with as little 
blood spilt as possible. Um, so uh, folks being mindful of that, but they, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty uh, technical trails and uh, that adds a lot to the enjoyment, but just, you got to be cognizant of that. And I think if people are, are, are uh, mindful of that, they'll, they'll have a great day. And um, the trails are open to the public during the race too. So we, we have to be mindful of that. There could be mountain bikers uh, coming through, although I would imagine um, few, very few mountain bikers would want to be out there um, while we're putting on the race, which we um, make sure is um, advertised um, at all of these locations, so mountain bikers are aware. But something else to be something else to be aware of too. Got it. Um, and 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 I guess the last thing that I'll say, I'll we'll we'll, we'll end with this, and then I'll get your final word. Um, that uh, Concord's a pretty cool place. So, um, you know, if, if folks were so inclined to, to bring the family along to, uh, to spectate and to, and to cheer, um, there's plenty of things to do in Concord after the race, including, you know, getting lunch um, and, uh, and, and other cool things to do. Um, what, what's, your, what's your thought about that? Yeah, I think uh, that the downtown Main Street Concord, which is just a, uh, a few blocks away from the race is a, a great spot for folks to walk around after the race. A lot of good places to eat. You got the state house, um, you know, uh, so just a, a, just a really nice uh, historic downtown um, city of Concord has done a nice job of um, uh, spending and investing in their downtown. And it, it's immediately apparent when you get there, uh, so, you know, certainly spend a little bit of time, um, have some fun, um, check out some of the, the local restaurants, um, you know, um, you know, quite a bit to do and, and just kind of hang out and uh, um, enjoy your accomplishment after having completed a, a, a great trail race and supported a wonderful organization that because of uh, your support and uh, um, racing, um, is able to continue to uh, promote the educational and uh, just general uh, well-being of uh, the the three and four-year-olds in the Concord area. Well, we'll um, we'll take that as your final word. Thank you, Rich. Um, Rich, I'm looking forward to seeing you on uh, on May 6, man. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's always a a good day. You and I get to get to hang out and. Uh, um, hopefully hopefully plan some other outings and uh i won't put too much pressure on karen but um i would really like to see her i'm not saying i like seeing her better than you um but maybe um but uh always always great to see the always great to see the both of you so really looking forward to it rich rich thanks so much for joining me all right thank you chris i appreciate the opportunity Rich's experience as a runner of singular focus who could no longer run is a great example of why it's important for endurance athletes to diversify. Absolutely dedicate the majority of your endurance training to your sport, but don't neglect the complementary modalities like strength and soft tissue work. And strongly consider a secondary or tertiary endurance activity to both break the repetitive motion of your sport-specific training and to have a plan B in the event you need one. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walkable podcast. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half, Walk Double, so make sure to check it out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.